Welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network, coming to you from the TeacherCast studios since 2011. Join us each week as we bring you the latest educational news, edtech updates, and hottest interviews with today's most influential leaders in education. And now, for your host, Jeff Bradbury. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is Digital Learning Today, episode number three, and thank you guys for being here. I am so excited about today's episode. We're talking not only about student feedback, but helping our students feel comfortable sharing with each other, sharing their work with each other, and most importantly, how can we create an environment in our classrooms and really in our school buildings that allows for students to express themselves so that way they can become amazing citizens. I want to say thank you guys to everybody over the last few weeks who've had the opportunity to check out the brand new website. Uh, A few weeks ago, we relaunched teachercast.net, total facelift, total website relaunched, total color redone. Everything on the site is completely brand new. Uh, I've been having fun over the last few weeks, redesigning all the blog posts, all the pages are coming back. So if you're looking for something over there that's not quite in the search boxes yet, give me some time or or send me an email at feedback at teachercast.net. I'd love to hear from you. Love to know what you're looking for. I've been working on a little bit of an AI project, actually. Um, I found a way to put an artificial intelligence search engine actually into the website. So I've been working uh, really, really hard to bring that to you. So you can actually come over to TeacherCast, ask it a question, and then from there, it'll search through all of our audio, all of our video, all of our blog posts. Everything's gonna be there in front of you. I, I think the site's coming out nice. I'd love your feedback though. If you like this, please head on over to teachercast.net. You can go to teachercast.net slash contact and let me know what you think. We would love to hear from you guys today. My first guest today is a distinguished author, educator, composer, and entrepreneur. She's the CEO of a great company called Teach Me TV, who has won five telly awards in both media, animation, and music. I want to bring on a good friend of mine, Miss Carolyn Sloan. Carolyn, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great, Jeff. And how are you? I am doing fantastic. It is so great to see you. Uh, It was a pleasure seeing you at FETC. How did you think the conference went? You know, I thought it was great, actually. It was exhausting, (laughs) but it was great. Um, It was wonderful to meet a lot of new people and new companies and see all the amazing stuff that's out there from software to hardware. Yeah, I thought it was a great experience. How about you? I thought it was an amazing com- uh, conference and probably one of the best ones I've ever been to. Anytime you're getting 10,000 people in one area, all for education, all to figure out how we're going to be helpful and supportive to our students. I think it's a great time. And, you know, now that we're sitting here looking into the second half of the school year, there are a lot of great questions, especially about how we can get students to express themselves, be more self-aware of the world around them, both physically, uh, digitally, you know, I'm really excited about this topic today. You brought a few guests with your, with you. Uh, why don't you introduce us? Sure. Um, there's Dory Weiss. She's a literacy specialist, and, and she's uh, the head of uh, Brooklyn Reads and also works as a consultant for Teach Me TV. 
and Dr. Lindsay Kwok Hugh, who's an educational consultant. And uh, I'll, they can say hello. Good morning, hello. everybody. Welcome. <laughs> Dory, tell us. Hi. Uh, hi, uh, I'm, I'm Dory Weiss. Uh, as Carolyn mentioned, I'm thrilled to be the literacy consultant on Teach Me TV. And when I'm not doing that, I have a private practice, a private literacy practice here in Brooklyn. And I'm the uh, proud mom of two young ladies who are nine and six. Nice. And, and Lindsay, tell us a little bit about the great work that you're doing. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Lindsay Kwok Hugh, and I'm just so thrilled to be here today. So I'm a 20 plus year career educator. I've held a lot of different roles as a teacher, admin, instructional coach, professor, and now education consultant. And I currently manage a portfolio of student impact focused education projects, ranging from curriculum development to teacher support to technology. So thank you for having me. Thank you guys for being on today. And you know, we were talking a little bit about after FETC. This is certainly the longer part of the year. You know, right now, many school districts are still in that second marking period, which means we have more than half of a year to go. And of course, the weather is getting warmer now, which means you're dealing with different interests. You're dealing with sports coming back. You're dealing with the rise of hormones. You're dealing with all of these wonderful things in the same classroom. Where do you start? I, I want to talk a little bit about motivation, right? I remember a few years ago being in the classroom trying to get kids to stay focused, to stay motivated. Carolyn, I know you've done a little bit of work on this. How do you suggest teachers, especially now with all of the stuff going on, how do we help students stay motivated? I think one great way to do that is um, project-based learning, um, a way to get kids um, focused in on something that they feel excited about doing. So it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is 100% choice, but creating a project around a particular topic and then um, allowing students to find one aspect of that project that they would like to be responsible for or take responsibility for, and then giving them kind of an outline or some requirements or rubric, and then letting them go. And then really giving them space and the independence to kind of problem solve and research and figure it out on their own, which also at the same time, while it, I, I find it motivating for the students, it also um, supports agency, student agency, which is always a good thing. Lindsay, in your work, how do you feel students are as far as now, academically, there's a lot of stuff going on. They want to be in school. They don't want to be in school. There's a lot of things that are pulling their attention. What's your thoughts about motivating kids, especially as we're getting into those warmer days? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. And I 150% agree with Carolyn. I think that leveraging student interests, really allowing them to drive sort of you know, just exploration, their own research, and giving them really a platform to deeply explore that. I think that you know, in my own work, I think that providing explicit, intentional, and guided feedback when it comes to that work, I think is also really motivating to students. You know, I've experimented with like elements, you know, giving points out, trying to encourage motivation through external reinforcement. But I really think that fundamentally, when you have a trusting relationship with your students, when you're providing that explicit, intentional feedback, um, and they see 
um, they can be really proud of the product or the work that they're putting out, I think is the best way to motivate a student. So what you're saying, both of you, is that it's all about relationships, having those opportunities to really connect with students. Dory, what's your theory on this? Well, I worked in a middle school for five years, so I'm very familiar with what I like to call the spring squirmies. And I haven't trademarked it. You can use it. Fine. <laughs> uh, but the spring squirmies are real, and we've all seen them. And I think it's also very powerful to give the students the opportunity to say, I need a break. I'm feeling restless and I know that I'm going to need to go get a drink of water and then come back. And just to be able to, again, the relationship of being honest with your students at this point and saying, you know, things are changing. It's getting to be spring. What do we need to do to be the best learners we can be right now? And giving them the language and the opportunities to check in with themselves to be the most successful they can be. But, but that's not always easy, right? Especially when you're in that middle school area or that high school area where you do have students that switch classes, right? It, it is one thing if you are teaching somebody a full year, by this point in time, you've gotten to know them, you, you kind of do have that rapport. But if you are one of those teachers where, okay, you know, second marking period's over, it's now time to get an entire brand new crop of students. They're going through those changes, but you don't know who they are yet. You haven't built those rapports yet. What advice do you have for those teachers who are sitting there trying to stay in a groove they haven't yet established with their classes? I think it depends on the class. It depends on the topic. I think it depends on the age range. I think there's a lot of variables. Um, I don't know if there's a one-stop shop answer for that. I think you have to check in and, and really see where you are. I think that where the trouble comes in is when you do a, oh, this works before, I'll just do this every year from now on. We're all getting marbles until we get a pizza party. That might not work for this group. And so it's important to really check in uh, and get to know them just like you would at the beginning of a school year, but acknowledging that it's different, that it is the spring and you know things are different. I, I think that's important, especially now, Carolyn, you know, we have an older teaching force. You know, I, I see this all around, especially when I'm working with instructional coaches. Many of their teachers are getting up there and they're still trying to dig into that bag of old pre-pandemic tricks. What do you do? Yeah, it's really true. I mean, change, change is really necessary every day. Um, I used to coach. Um, uh, uh, student teachers from uh, Columbia Teachers College, and they would like to show me their um, lesson plans. And they would say, do you want to see my lesson plan? And I would say no. <laughs> and they would be shocked and appalled that I said no. And they said, why? And I said, because it looks beautiful, but you're going to get up in front of those kids and it's probably not going to work and you're going to need to change and do it again. So when you're talking about at either end of the spectrum, very young teachers or teachers who have been in the system for a long time, I think we all need to embrace change. But I really liked what Dory was saying about checking in with the student, because when we check in with students and we actually ask them to be a part of the process and, and not only ask, but really kind of suggest it strongly that we're, our expectation is that they are part of this learning process, that they are our partners in this. 
there's a lot less um, pushback I have found and kids um, want to take that responsibility if you're willing to give it to them in small doses and you, and you help them take that. So I think by giving kids that responsibility, it helps both teacher and student uh, so that, um, you know, kids become more responsible and, and teachers then learn to give up some of that control. But Carolyn, that sounds like a professional development conversation, right? You have to train the teachers to be able to then train the students to do that. Yes, <laughs> maybe. But I think um, the training can be in real time. Um, I, I, I'm curious to hear what Lindsay has to say, but um, I think that um, if if you, it's like a, a a chain reaction. If you want, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? So if you start by relinquishing a little bit of that, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this, and we say, okay, well, this is what we're going to, this is the goal of what we're trying to do. Let's start here. I want to hear some of your suggestions about how we're going to do. I don't know if it's really, if we really need such formal PD around this, or it's simply watching another teacher who's comfortable doing it. Lindsay. Yeah, I think that's really true, Carolyn. And I think that what's really important when you're talking about, especially the spring semester, is it's important to just give things time um, to develop those relationships, to really nurture that. And I feel as though, at least, you know, in some of the schools that I work in, like we're all focused on like the end of the year, like for the test that's coming up. Um, and I think that it's just really important to keep relationship building in perspective um, and to take that time to have that conversation with the student and to really build that relationship and nurture it um, so that you can sort of set forth on that course, that pathway of learning. One of the things that was mentioned earlier is this concept of having kids self-assess and judge their work. And, you know, we're still, and I think for the next couple of years, of course, we're still working with students who are pandemic students. They're used to creating something, they hand it in, and there's that one-to-one -one feedback. I know for the students that I've worked with over the past couple of years through this as an instructional coach, they're they're comfortable doing the work. They're comfortable handing it in. You know, the, the digital learning stuff is still kind of there, but they're not quite yet comfortable sharing it. They're not comfortable when a teacher puts something on the board and says, you know, share this with somebody. I remember a story last year where the teacher said, you know, they're going to do a little presentation and the teacher and the students freaked out because they heard the P word when really the teacher was just going to say, you know, Carolyn, tell me about that for the next 30 seconds. Then we're going to move on. Like they lost their minds because they thought that they were going to have to like, you know, open their soul to everybody else. How do we help our students learn how to not only self-assess, but I would even go a step further to say, how do we help them be proud of the work that they're creating enough so that way they want to share it with others? I think that's um, complex and a little complicated um, in the sense that there, I think there are different, many different steps we can take to get there. Um, but I'm thinking of a project I used to do many years ago with students in the fourth grade where they had to become an expert on an orchestral instrument. But then, so they had to research the mechanics, the history, the materials of the instrument, they had to research the music that it played. And, um, but then they had to share their research 
in a creative way with the rest of the class. And that was part of the assignment. So it wasn't just writing a report. It wasn't, I wanted them to do something creative and then share it with everyone. So it involved some sort of creative speaking, uh, public speaking or some creative project where they'd write a play or sing a song or something, but it had to have all the research in it. Um, I think baby steps, I created a rubric. You can create a rubric and say, um, you know, it must have A, B, C, D, and E. How you get there, I don't care, but these are the things that I'm expecting in the end. And then giving them very good examples of what that might look like so they know what to aim for. Um, and then to create a culture of sharing, you know, through the year so that you always are turning and talking to your neighbor and then you're turning talking to somebody else or you're get up in front of the class or you we used to evaluate our musical compositions for each other. Why does it work? Why does it not work? So if you create a culture of sharing and speaking and um, helping each other in that way, I think kids are less intimidated to do it at the end. So it's not like a formal assessment, but it's more a formative assessment. Yeah, I think that what Carolyn just mentioned regarding creating a culture of sharing is really important. But, you know, as a teacher, I'm I'm okay if you're not quite ready to publicly share your work with other students. Um, I do really believe that formative feedback is really like the sweet spot of instruction. And I can remember being a kindergarten teacher and teaching my students how to use a writing rubric. And like any teacher, you know, I had the one, two, three, four, except the four was like this crude drawing of Mrs. Clock's, you know, face. <laughs> and I said that if you can, I would be so impressed, so impressed if you can demonstrate that you can sort of do or implement, you know, the strategy that's being suggested in the four region. And the great thing about kindergartners or any, you know, young student is that they really, really, really do want to please you. And so they really, really, really want to strive to do, you know, number four, Ms. Kwok's face. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm laughing as I remember this because I think that, you know, during our writing conferences, I would use the rubric to sort of guide the feedback that I would share. And I really felt as though, you know, no matter what lesson I had, you know, demonstrated, no matter what, it wouldn't have really made as great of an impact that formative feedback as the formative feedback rather, you know, as that conversation of, you know, this is where I think you can improve. This is what I think you're doing a great job of. Um, and I think that, again, you know, if a student is not quite ready to share their work publicly, that's absolutely okay. But if we can do it privately and have this formative feedback session, um, that's an optimal, beautiful place for learning to happen. I also think it circles back to student agency, which is to say, give your students a choice of how they want to share. You know, does everything need to be, you know, a white a smart board presentation? Is this, you know, what would Juliet be listening to before she goes to the party? Pick a playlist that reflects on what you've learned about Romeo and Juliet. I mean, there's so many different ways. And especially now that we have so much digital uh, materials to, to choose from. You know, to have especially the older students pick how do you how do you want to show how you've interacted with this material, and that way they're comfortable uh, in, in how they present and what they choose to present, and I think that that gives them again the added confidence to do their best work. 
You know, I'm I'm listening to everybody here, and I completely agree with everything that we're saying. But I I have this theory that's kind of guided me for many, many years as a teacher. And it's basically this. You know, as a teacher, we have 13 years to get our students to be able to answer one question and only one question. And that question is, tell me about yourself. And I've always used that. Like, if, if, if a kid can't do the tell me about yourself, that's, you know, that's the first question on a college interview. It's the first question on a job interview. That's the first thing anybody asked in a conversation. If a student is shy about sharing their work, how can we encourage them in the global sense to start sharing themselves, to be able to communicate with each other, to be able to open up, to be able to have those conversations, to start moving them forward professionally and personally? How do you suggest that we get students to open up their themselves to others um, if they are kind of reserved about sharing a little, sharing their their personal stuff? I think you have to create safety in the classroom, or uh, and and um, trust, uh, especially with the younger students. And you know, I think it, it's. It's tricky because by nature, some children are more extroverted and willing to share than others, right? So we have to also make sure that there's enough space, if you will, in the classroom um, where those kids who are less um, eager and more reticent to share have that safety and um, that space to be themselves. And, and to share, but I, I'd be curious to hear what other folks have to say. That's a that's a tough one, I think. Yeah, that that is a, a tough one. And I think about the context in which I'm willing to share as a new learner in any space. And I think that it really comes down to the instructor or the teacher creating a space that is safe, but is also vulnerable to students. I mean, it is really hard to publicly share your, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, it's really hard to publicly share your work. And I think that if I saw um, an instructor or a professor do that, model his or her own work and sort of the revision process, I remember doing that as a teacher. I mean, that to me is everything um, as a student, um, being able to, to know that everyone at every level sort of experiences you know, oh, I need to improve this, or I need to make this different, um, or how to receive feedback. Just being really open about that, um, permitting those conversations, I think is so critical. You mentioned feedback, and I think that's important. And, you know, I'm going to shift back into that's a professional development thing. How do you provide feedback to kindergartners? How do you provide feedback to middle schoolers? And how do you provide feedback to, to juniors and seniors? It's the same concept, but clearly those are three completely different things. Lindsay, what advice do you have for teachers who are looking to, you know, dare I say, improve their feedback game or to create a better and safer environment for feedback? I mean, we've all done the say something nice and then say something that you want to have them fix. In its basic form, I can understand that. But there's a lot of teachers out there that are not comfortable giving feedback verbally, digitally, in a Google Doc comment, on an audio. What advice do you have for teachers that are trying to, or that are struggling in the feedback game? I mean, Jeff, I think that this is something I'm still learning to do well, you know, as an adult learner. I think that 
one of the things that it comes down to is also the school culture. You know, how is leadership giving and receiving feedback and having there being like a trickle down effect? Um, if you don't have the luxury of having a school leader who is, you know, vulnerable and open about his or her sort of where, the, where things can improve, um, then just really taking the step to model that in your lessons, actually pacing that out and showing students how is that done with your own work. Um, you know, if there is, you know, I do a lot of journaling. And so I could see myself going into the classroom to actually open that up and share that with students and share sort of a revision process. Um, as a teacher, I would do that with my own writing. And I think that, again, going back to what Carolyn, Carolyn was saying, you know, it really creates sort of a culture of it's okay to not have it right all at once. It's normal to not have it right all at once or the first time. It's normal to go through an iteration of a number of different drafts before you get this you know, final beautiful product. Um, just really normalizing that for students. Um, I think that that would be the most powerful way, I think, to sort of up your feedback game. Well, Lindsay, that was a very good answer. Thank you for sharing that. Dory, how did you feel about that response? Did you think that Lindsay did a good job? <laughs> we see what you just did there. Thank you so much for sharing. And I'm open to it. Yes, I heard you. I see you. And I think you did a beautiful job. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Um, what I really um, identify with there is the the culture that we need to create around mistakes or something that's not right or what we consider perfect, right? So kids are just a lot of the time they're so hyper focused on getting it right, right? They want to get it right. It's all about the right answer. They want to get a good grade. But I stress all the time that mistakes are opportunities for growth and that mistakes are also in, especially in creative pursuits, sometimes are better than what we intended to do in the first place. That mistakes are sometimes, there's a wonderful book um, and I'm gonna forget the author's name and I apologize, it's called beautiful oops and it's a it's an art book and it's about making mistakes um and it's all about sometimes our mistakes teach us more than we would have learned otherwise if we didn't make them and i think it's really important to to share that with kids and i like the idea of modeling what you were saying lindsay about modeling this attitude this growth mindset attitude of like it's okay you know i'm going to get better at this tomorrow i used to have a um an early music group and i don't mean early music as in we we got together early to play even though we did but it was like a baroque early music group um when i was teaching and the kids by by the second or third year that they were in the group would say to new members, well, it's Monday, so we don't sound so good today, but just <laughs> wait until Friday. We're going to sound much better. And that to me was worth everything that they learned this idea that they're going to get better and the mistakes that they were making were opportunities just for them to learn more and to fix them. So feedback is just another um, instrument that we can use 
in that culture of it's okay to make mistakes. Like, okay, that that could have been better. How could it have been better? Well, I'm not really sure. Well, let's think about it. What what kind of things might have made it better? You know, to have those kinds of conversations are really rewarding with students. I feel students get empowered. They feel more empowered to take responsibility for their learning. And then they start to internalize that conversation and do it for themselves. And that's where self-assessments come in, I think. Do you think that's easier based on the topic? For instance, uh, you know, I know Lindsay does a lot of work in the STEM fields. You know, if it didn't work the first experiment, let's try it again. Let's try it again. As opposed to maybe a math field where two plus two is still four, no matter how many times you you try to put two and two together here. Lindsay, what do you think? Is it, is it the subject? Is it the area? Or is it, te- or is it the teacher or the student that, that makes this easier on everybody? No, I, I think that a culture of, of feedback and revision is applicable to every subject area. Um, you know, my expertise is not in math, but I, I would imagine that that, you know, as you're going through and maybe publicly or collaboratively solving something, um, that there's still an opportunity to, to make the work better. Um, so I don't think that it's necessarily you know, specific to any subject area or even grade level teacher or student. I mean, this is just a requisite that's built into the learning process. Um, And it's super important that uh, our our students begin experiencing that early on and really normalizing that, really normalizing the revision process. If you're listening to this and you have anything to add to the conversation, we would love to hear from you. Of course, you can always email us over at feedback at teachercats.net. Would love to have you on. I know that all of our guests are going to be invited back on to a show in the future to have a follow-up conversation to hear. And of course, I want to say thank you to Lindsay, Dory, and Carolyn for being here. I want to make a quick left turn here because we're talking all about motivating students. We're talking about having them self-assess themselves and giving feedback if I can for a moment, let's jump outside of the classroom. Let's talk about at home. How do we support the students that we have at home? I, I, I'd be silly if I didn't have a podcast that didn't talk about the triplets. They're sitting here, they're doing their work, they're learning how to read, they've got the math, they've got the Khan Academy, all that stuff. How can I create this type of an environment with my kids, not my students, right? Because now instead of it being a teacher role, I'm in a parent role. What advice do you have for parents who are trying to help out their students? I get this a lot, if you don't mind. Please. Which is, you know, how do I make my kid a reader? I get that a lot. How do I make my kid a reader? And my question is always, are you a reader? And how would they know that? Because if we model, you know, as parents, we model everything. And then you and then you say, oh, I read all the time. I said, what are you reading? Are you reading on your phone? Are you reading on a tablet? That does not look like reading to them. That looks like you could be doing anything. Are you sitting down with them and saying, you know, just now with my kids, they said, all right, we're gonna read for 15 minutes together. We all sat on the couch. We all had our books or whatever they wanted to do. And for 15 minutes, we all did that together. Just how you have dinner together, you brush your teeth together, whatever modeling that you would do to have good, you know, citizens in this way that you should do it also for how you want them to be as learners and so that is a big thing that i hear a lot how do i make them readers and then it's modeling just like you would do anything else 
You know, what I love about that answer, Dory, is that reading is such a beautifully unstructured and such an enjoyable process. There's no sort of, and I'm going to say something very controversial here, but, you know, it's not through homework per se, you know, and I, and I think that the more time that you can spend doing these wonderfully enjoyable activities and sort of modeling that process, um, I think is a really powerful opportunity to connect with your kids and to sort of demonstrate to them maybe the iterative process of doing something better. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I used to practice with my son because um, he's a musician, I'm a musician. And when we used to practice together, I would often ask, well, okay, well, how did that feel? Were we in time together? Um, was Did you feel that you were playing in tune? And um, let's take a listen to that together. And um, again, sort of including him, even when he was very young, in that process of listening to and speaking on his own behalf and then hearing and then also modeling because we're doing it together, like you were saying, Dory, um, that those things in combination then yield these, I think, these really fruitful moments of kids taking responsibility for their own learning and, and loving, you know, having the opportunity to engage in this um, discourse about how they're doing, right? Um, often kids will either think they're doing much better than they are or much worse than they are. So it's it's good to kind of also have those discussions so that they can um, learn to evaluate themselves more realistically. I think having the up the ability to not only go through this as a teacher but also as a parent is critical. I mean, I try not to be the teacher to my kids, but I also try not to always be the parent to my kids. Like you have to draw that line. And it's the same thing that, that we said earlier. It's about building those relationships in the classroom. There are times where you are the teacher, there are times where you are the, you are the authority person, but there's also times where hey, we're all in this together. We're all trying to learn through this together. And I think it's important that we keep that line of communication open to make a classroom be safe and 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 warm for everybody, so that way we can move forward. Um, Carolyn, do you have any last words on this topic? Any advice for anybody who might be listening to this and trying to figure out, okay, what do I do tomorrow in my classroom? <laughs> well, traditionally, I hate giving advice because what is right for one is not usually right for the other necessarily. But um, what I think is valuable is. You know, teachers, for the most part, you know your students, and that's the best thing you can do is to get to know them more and more deeply and better and ask for their participation, require their participation in ways where it's where it's important, you know, where we're not just asking them for answers to academic questions, but we're really trying to um, engage them in the discussion and, and make those discussions active and the feedback active and, and create dialogue that is um, impactful and mutual and actionable. So um, I think kids will appreciate that. They won't know what to do with it at first, I think, because we a lot of the time we haven't asked them. We're always kind of information driven, but I think my recommendation would be to Try to involve your students, no matter how young they are, in the process of learning. 
involving your students in the process of learning. Lindsay, what's your theory on that? Oh, definitely. I think that that's so important. It's so critical to the learning process. I think that, you know, you ask for ad advice maybe that you would want to give to a teacher, especially at this time of the year. And I would say take stock of all of the amazing things that you have already done this academic year. I know it's February, but you have done, your kids have, have you have moved the needle with your group of students so significantly and really take time to own that and to celebrate that. I want to say thank you guys for being on the show. I would love to invite you back on to continue this topic. And of course, if you're listening out there and would love to be a part of that, please let me know. You can always email us at feedback at teachercast.net. Dory, where can we learn more about the great work that you're doing? Uh, you could learn more at brooklynreads.com uh, and of course on Teach Me TV. Nice. Lindsay, how about yourself? I'm on every social media platform, so please follow me at Dr. Lindsay Kwok Hugh, um, or you can reach me at www.drlindsaykwokhugh.com. Carolyn, thank you so much for bringing these wonderful guests along to the show with us. I, I very much enjoyed this. And I think moving forward, you know, coming up with a plan for the second half of the year is important, right? Um, Students are going to be changing. The weather's going to be changing. Your teaching's going to be changing. Evaluations are going to be changing, especially as we start looking forward to the 20, I can't believe I'm saying this, 24, 25 school year. I, I think going forward here, it's just a matter of making sure that we know where that light of the tunnel is and how we want to get there. So, Carolyn, thank you so much. Where can we learn more about the great work that you're doing? Sure, you can follow me at, um, my website is www.carolynsloan.com, my personal website, or www.teachmetv.co is our company where we make a point of trying to develop student agency with digital resources um, that supply targeted feedback. So come visit us. And we're going to make sure that all of the links, bios, everything that we've discussed today is over on our show notes. You can find more information over at teachercast.net. Hope you guys have a chance to check out the new website. We launched it at FETC a few weeks ago, and I am working as fast as I can to get all of the great content up there. We've got over almost 400 or so more blog posts to go up and a lot more podcasts to redo. But we are doing some great things over there. And I want to say thank you guys for helping out and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. So that wraps up this episode of Digital Learning today. On behalf of Lindsay, Dorian, Carolyn, and everybody here on TeacherCast, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you guys to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. You've been listening to the TeacherCast Educational Network, hosted by Jeff Bradbury. Please reach out to the show with all of your questions on Twitter at TeacherCast or online at www.teachercast.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review in the App Store.